0: Chapter seven of Insect Stories This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle. Insect Stories by Vernon Kellogg. Chapter seven. The Dragons of Lagunita. When Mary and I came to examine our ant lion dragon the day after our adventures among the Morrowbeat Jukespits, we found him dead in the bottle of sand perhaps his haughty spirit of dragon could not stand such ignominious bottling up or perhaps there wasn't enough air anyway his fierceness was dead his cruel curved jaws would seize and pierce no more foraging ants his thirsty throat would never again be laved by the fresh blood of victims vale dragon but there are more dragons than one in our world not only more ant-lion dragons but more other kinds of dragons and this is one of the great advantages that mary and i enjoy in our looking about in the fields and woods for interesting things if we were looking for dragons of fairy stories we could only expect to find one kind if indeed we could expect to find any kind at all in these days when so few fairies are left if we could find it however it would be a monstrous beast in a forest cavern scaled body and clawed feet and great ugly head that breathed fire and smoke from its gaping mouth that would be an interesting sort of dragon to see we confess more interesting than the great one a hundred yards long that we saw in the chinese procession at oakland with two excited chinamen jumping about in front of its head and jabbing at its eyes with spears and more interesting than the one that roars and spits at siegfried on the stage while the big orchestra goes off into wild clamorous oh see the dragon music but we do not expect ever to find a real fairy-story dragon any more and so we content ourselves with trying to find as many different kinds of real dragons as we can in our world of little folk on the campus these dragons are rather small but they are unusually fierce and voracious to make up for their lack of size and so they serve very well to interest us to make up for the death of the ant-lion dragon of the sand pits i promised to take mary to see the dragon of Lagunita or rather dragons, for there are many in Lagunita, and indeed many in several other places on the campus. Have I explained that Lagunita is a pretty Spanish word for little lake, and that our Lagunita is just what its name means, and besides is as pretty as its name? There is only one trouble about it, and that is that every year in the long rainless sun-filled summer it dries up to nothing but a shallow parched hollow in the ground, and all the dragons have to move but this moving is a remarkable performance for while during the spring the lagunita dragons live rather inactively in their lairs under the water when summer comes they all transform themselves into great flying dragons of the air and swoop and swirl about in a manner very terrifying to see the morning we were to make our journey to lagunita i came to mary's house with a rake over my shoulder but what are you going to do with the rake said mary "'One doesn't go about to seek a dragon without weapons,' I replied with dignity. "'And a rake is a much more formidable weapon in the hands of a man who knows how to rake "'than a gun in the hands of a man who doesn't know how to shoot. "'I am something of an amateur gardener, but not at all the holder of a record at Clay Pigeons, "'or the king of Aschutzenverein. "'So I carried my rake.' "'Then what weapon shall I carry?' asked Mary. "'I ponder seriously.' "'A tin lunch-pail,' I finally reply. "'With luncheon in?' asks mary empty i say so we start we have already said that lagunita is a pretty little lake it lies just under the first of the foothills that rise ridge after ridge into the forested mountains that separate us from the ocean indeed it is on the first low step up from the valley floor and from its enclosing bank or shore one gets a good view of the level reaching valley thickly set with live-oak trees and houses and fields around the little lake have grown up pines willows and other beautiful trees and at one side a tiny stream comes in during the wet season there is no regular outlet but the water which usually begins to come in about november keeps filling the shallow bowl of the lake higher and higher until by spring it is nearly bank full and may even overflow then as the long dry summer season sets in the level of the water grows lower and lower until in august or september there is only left a small muddy puddle crammed with surprised and despairing little fishes and salamanders and water-beetles and the like who are not at all accustomed to such behaviour on the part of a lake and then a few days later they are all gasping their last breaths there together on the scum-covered waterless bottom but when lagunita is really a lake it is a very pretty one and mary and i love to go there and sit on the bank under the willows near the horse paddocks and watch the college boys rowing about in their graceful narrow long oared shells "'These swift-darting boats look like great water-skaters, only white instead of black. "'You know, the long-legged, active water-skaters or water-striders "'that skim about over the surface of ponds "'or quiet backwater pools and streams in summertime. "'So Mary and I went to Lagunita with our rake and tin lunch-pail to hunt for dragons. "'No shining armor, no great two-handed sword, no cap of invisibility, "'just a rake and a tin lunch-pail. "'Where, Mary, do you think is the likeliest place for the dragon?' I asked mary answers promptly there at the foot of the steep stony bank where the big willow tree hangs over we go there i grasp my rake firmly with both hands i reach far out over the shallow water then i beat the rake suddenly down through the water to the bottom and with a quick strong pull i drag it out raking out with it a great mass of oozy mud and matted leaves i drag this well up on the shore and both mary and i flop down on our knees and begin pawing about in it suddenly mary calls out i've got one and holds up in her fingers an extraordinary kicking twisting creature with six legs a big head and a thick ugly body on which seems to be the beginnings of several fins or wings it has this creature two great staring eyes and stout sharp pointed spines stick out from various parts of the body put him in the lunch pail i shout i already have it half full of water from the lake then i found one to marry another and then i still another it was truly great sport this dragon hunting we put them all into the lunch pail where they lay sullenly on the bottom, glaring at each other, but not offering to fight as we rather hoped they would. Then what to do? These dragons in their regular lairs at the bottom of Lagunita might do a lot of the most interesting things, but drenched up in this summery way and deposited in a strange tin pail in the glaring light of day, they seemed wholly indisposed to carry on any performances of dragon for our benefit. So we decided to take them home and try to fix up for them a still smaller lakelet than Lagunita, one, say, in a tub. Then perhaps they would feel more at home and ease and might do something for us. So we took them home and we fixed a tub with sand in the bottom, water over that and over the top of the tub a screen of netting that would let air and sunlight in but not dragons out. Then we collected some miscellaneous small water beasties and a few water plants and put them in and so really had a very comfortable and home-like place for the dragons they seemed to take it all right we called our new lakelet monday pond because of some relation between the tub and wash-day i suppose and we had very good fun with our dragons for several weeks think of the advantage of having a dragon right at home if it's a bad day or we are lazy or there may be some visitors who stay too long so there is only a little time for ourselves how convenient it is to have a dragon or indeed a whole brood of dragons right in your study much better of course than to have to sail to a distant island and tramp through the leagues of forests or thorny bushes or a burning desert or among spouting volcanoes to find your dragon as most princes in fairy stories have to do i can't of course venture to tell you of all the interesting things that mary and i saw our dragons do two or three will have to do or my publisher will cry cut it short cut it short i say that will hurt me, for he is really a most forbearing publisher and quite in the way of a friend. The three things shall be one, eating and what with, two, getting a new skin and why, and third, changing from an underwater, crawling, squirmy, ugly dragon to an aerial, whizzing, flashing, dashing, beautiful winged dragon and when. Of course, one of the most interesting things about any dragon is what and how he eats the other most important thing about Mary and my special kind of dragon is his remarkable change this was to us much more remarkable than having three heads or even getting a new head every time an old one is cut off which seems to be a rather usual habit of fairy book dragons the dragons lay rather quietly on the sand in the bottom of monday pond most of the time sometimes one would be up a little way on the shore that is the side of the tub clinging to one of the plant stems when poked with a pencil and we were fearless about poking them, if the pencil were a long one. They would half walk, half swim away, but mostly they lay pretty well concealed, waiting for something to happen. What would happen occasionally was this. A young mayfly or water beetle would come swimming or walking along. If it passed an inch away from the dragon, all right, but if its path brought it closer, an extraordinary catcher, rather than a pair of long nippers or tongs, would shoot out like a flash from the head of the dragon, and seize the unfortunate beastie then the catcher would fold up in such a way as to bring the victim against the dragon's mouth which is provided with powerful sharp-toothed jaws these jaws then had their turn and that was the end of the mayfly. mary was rather shocked when she saw the dragon first use its catcher she wanted to rescue the poor mayfly, but after all she has got pretty well used to seeing tragedies in insect life they seem to be necessary and normal many insects depend upon other animals for food just as we do Only, fortunately, we don't have to catch and kill our own steer or pig or lamb or chicken. We turn the bloody business over to men who like, well, at least, who do it for us. But in the world of lower animals, each one is actually his own butcher. Mary soon wanted to see the dragon's catcher. So we dredged one out of Monday's pond and put him on the study table. As he faced us with his big eyes, glaring from his broad, heavy head, he looked very fierce. But curiously enough, he did not seem to have any jaws or even a mouth the whole front of his face was smooth and covered over by a sort of mask so that his terrible jaws and catching nippers were invisible however we soon understood this the mask was a folded-up catcher so disposed that it served when not in use actually to hide his own iniquity as well as that of the yawning mouth behind only when some small insect all unsuspecting this smooth masked face comes close do the long tongs unfold shoot out and reveal the waiting jaws and thirsty throat A veritable dragon, indeed, sly and cruel and ever-hungry for a living prey. One day, when we were looking into Monday Pond, Mary saw a curious object that looked more like a hollow dragon than anything else. It had all the shape and size of one of the dragons, the legs and eyes, and the masked face, the pads on the back that looked like half-fledged wings. But there was a transparency and emptiness about it that was uncanny and ghost-like. Then too, when we looked more closely, there was a great rent down at the back. That made the mystery plain the real dragon the flesh and blood and breathing live dragon had come out of the long tear leaving his skin behind it was his complete skin too back sides and belly out to the tips of his feelers and down to his toes and claws but why should he shed his skin hasn't he any skin now asked mary of course he must have a skin how could he keep his blood in and what would his muscles be fastened to for he is a boneless dragon and his skeleton is his outside shell with his muscles fastened to it so how could he live at all without a skin he must have a new skin and of course that was exactly it he had cast his old skin as a snake does and got a brand new one why should not a dragon change his skin if a snake had but mary is persistent about her wise, and i was quite ready for her next question which came after a moment of musing why should he shed his old skin and get a new one is the new one different a different color or shape or something no not a different color or shape especially but a different size the dragon is growing up he is like a boy who keeps on wearing age nine clothes until they are too short in the sleeves too tight in the back and too high water in the legs then one day he sheds his age nine suit and gets an age eleven one see what a funny professor you are is that the way you lecture to your classes gracious no mary this is the way as the immature dragon grows older his constant assimilation of food tends to create a natural increase in size but the comparative inelasticity of his titanized cuticula prevents the actual expansion to any considerable degree of his body mass thus all the cells of the body become turgid and altogether a great pressure is exerted outward against the enclosing cuticular wall this wall suddenly splits along the longitudinal line of the dorsum and through this rent the dragon extricates itself in soft and defenceless condition but of markedly larger size the new cuticula which is pale elastic and thin at first soon becomes thicker strongly chitinized and dark the old cuticle or exuvia which has been molted, is curiously complete, and is a hollow or shell-like replica of the external appearance of the dragon, even to the finest details. How is that, Mary? Very instructing, with an effort. Indeed, replies Mary, with a grave face, but I guess I understand the change from age nine to age eleven clothes better. Then we saw the third wonderful happening in our dragon's life, that I said we should tell about. We saw one of the dragons getting wings, that is, changing from an ugly, blackish, squat-crawling creature into a glorious, long-bodied, rainbow-tinted, flying dragon. Another dragon had crawled up above the water on a plant stem and was also moulting its ketonized cuticula. It was coming out from the old skin in very different shape and color. I had forgotten, when I told Mary that they only changed in size after casting the skin, about the last moulting. Each dragon casts its skin several times in its life the last time it does it it makes the wonderful change I've already spoken about from crawling to flying dragon and it was one of these last skin castings that was going on now under our very eyes I can't describe all that happened you must see it for yourself sometime how out of the great rent in the old skin along the back the soft damp body of the dragon squeezes slowly out with its constant revelation of delicate changing color and its graceful new shape How out of the odd shapeless pads on the back come four long, narrow, shining, transparent wings with complex framework of fine little veins or ribs and thin, flexible, glassy membranes stretched over them. How the new head looks with its enormous, sparkling, iridescent eyes making nearly two-thirds of it and so cleverly fitted on the body it can turn nearly entirely around on the neck. And then how the body fills out and takes shape and the wings get larger and larger and everything more and more beautifully colored. All this you will have to see for yourself some time when you have a Monday pine in your own study, with a brood of dragons in. It's wonderful, isn't it, Mary? How would you like to see twenty, thirty, forty oh a hundred dragons doing this all at once? We can if we want to, all we have to do is Go over to Lagunita some morning early, very early, just after sunrise, for that is their favorite time, and we shall see scores of dragons crawling up out of the water on stones, plants, sticks, anything convenient, and sloughing off their dirty, dark old skins and coming out of their beautiful, iridescent green, and violet, and purple new skins with their long, slender body and great flashing wings. They sit quietly on the stones and plant stems until the warm rising sun dries them, and their new skins get firm and all nicely fitted. then they begin their new life wheeling and dashing over the lake and among the hills and bushes and above the grasses and grain along the banks like eagles and hawks they are seeking their prey watch that little gnat buzzing there in the air a flying dragon swoops by and there is no gnat there any longer it has been caught in the curious basket-like trap which the dragon makes with its spiny legs all held together and it is being crushed and chewed by the great jaws still a dragon you see for all its new beauty Mary muses not all beautiful things in the world are good are they she murmurs mary you are a philosopher i said as i read this over i realized quite as keenly i hope as you do my reader how little there is in this story and yet finding out this little was a real pleasure to mary and me now we must perforce estimate the pleasures and pains the likes and dislikes of other people by our own and, however untrue this estimate may be for any one other person, it must be fairly true for any considerable number of persons. Therefore, and this is the reason for putting down our simple experiences with the insects for other people to read, and perhaps to be stirred by, to see, and do similar things, therefore, I say other people, some other people, also must be able to get pleasure in what we do. Now, if there is any way and any means of getting clean pleasure into the crowded days of our living, then that way and means should be suggested and open to as many as possible. Mary and I, you see, have the real proselytizing spirit. We are missionaries of the religion of the unroofed temples, and we want all to be saved, so we give our testimony willingly of our own experiences and of the saving grace of our belief. We have no names for our idols, nor any formulation of our creed, but in various voice and word we do gladly confess over and over again the reality of the happiness that comes to us from the hours with the lowly world that we are coming to know better and better, and any one of these happy hours may contain no more than the little that has been told in this story of the Dragon of Lagunita, and yet be really and truly a happy hour. End of chapter seven